You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. It feels like it's a little bit more of a lull day. Is it just me? I guess it is. Not just me, because y'all were all still kind of lulling there. Um, it's good to see you guys. I'm glad to worship with you. It's good to be with you, even if you're with us digitally. We uh, are very excited to be worshiping together this morning. We are glad that you're here, and we are so thankful that our Lord has given us reason to gather. Uh, it is good for our hearts. It is good for our souls. We are created to be together and not just to be separate and individual. And so as we are endeavoring to worship today, let me open us up in the word with time of prayer again. I know we just prayed, but I need to pray for me. And I'm going to ask you to pray for me as I preach. And I'm going to pray for you while I do that also. So let's, let's pray again together. Father, you are so good to us. But Lord, we ask you right now, I ask you, Lord, would you... Reveal the love that you have for your son. Would you reveal that to us? Would you fill our hearts with the love that you have for your own son so that we might love you rightly the way that he loves you and you have loved him? Lord, would you fill our hearts for one another with the love that you have for us that we might love each other the way we are intended to as the church, as a faith family? And Lord, would you fill our hearts with the love that you have for the lost, that although they may not be here or hear this message or experience this moment of worship with us, that, Lord, you would fill us with your love for the lost that drove you to send Jesus to come and to save our souls. Lord, we love you, but we want to love you more. And we want to be like Jesus. So work in us today by your word to shape us into the image of Christ, to make us look more and more like Jesus so that he might be glorified and that we might be filled with joy as we live out the missional life that you have given us. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. We are going through this series, The Elephant in the Room, and we have had a couple of hard topics over the last couple of weeks. This will be no different. This is a hot-button topic, one that has been going on for a long, 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 long time. It is not new but it is one that is seemingly rampant in the world right now that we have to deal with. And so our d- desire in this series is to try to lead all of us through the Word to be able to understand these difficult things we face through a Christian worldview, through the gospel-centered lens. And so that's what we're trying to do today. And I know you would agree with me when I say this, that everywhere I go... I seem to find that people are talking to one another or to me about the downward trajectory of our nation. It's all over the place. It's on every news channel. It's on every talk radio show or podcast. And the political and moral chaos of our nation is causing fear and anxiety in the hearts of many. I'm talking young, old. I'm talking Democrat, Republican. It doesn't matter who you talk to. Rural towns, big towns, cities, it is a problem in our world that we are filled with fear and anxiety based off of what we seem to think is the downward spiral of our nation. And none of the issues discussed seems to strike fear in the hearts of professing Christians as much as the moral decay our country seems to be experiencing. Ever since 
the sexual revolutions of the 60s and 70s, the evangelical community has been banding together to fight what seems to be the inevitable moral degradation of our country, of our society. The sexual revolution has infiltrated everything, every facet of our lives. And now it's gone even further than any of us could have imagined. Some of you have been alive long enough to not have imagined anything up to this point even. And homosexuality is one of those topics, one of those big pieces of our society that has now not only been normalized on television and social media and in our music, it's even being encouraged in many of our educational institutions. And thankfully, we live in a town where that's not the case, but it is that way all over our country. Our children are being encouraged to question not only their sexuality, but their gender. The books they read, the cartoons they watch, are even being used to promote an openness to sexual aberrations that the Bible declares sinful and unnatural. This moral downgrade strikes fear in the hearts of parents, grandparents, teachers, people who just simply love children. And I think it should strike fear in our hearts. And in response, Bible-believing Christians, Bible-believing churches are banding together to fight what's been deemed by many as the homosexual agenda, raising the flag of biblical morality to rally professing Christians to rise up and fight the moral downgrade of our nation and to fight those promoting these agendas. In 2012, I was a pastor in Maryland, which was one of the four states at that time attempting to pass the first gay marriage laws. Churches in our area were banding together to rally their members to fight what was known as question six on the ballot, much like what was called Proposition 8 in California. Pastors were calling me and other pastors to put signs in front of their churches that said, vote no on question six. Fear was rampant. And the gay community was gaining wide support where I was. Churches were using passages like where we're going to be today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Churches were using passages like the one we're going to study this morning to rally support to fight homosexuality and the gay agenda. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So when a pastor called me to share where I could pick up our church's sign and how we could fight the proposition as a church family... He was stunned and dismayed when I told him we didn't want to purchase any signs. I told him that as a citizen, I would be voting my conscience, which lines up with the biblical mandate to be against sin in our society. I would be voting my conscience, which lined up with the evangelical movement to stop the moral downgrade of our nation as an individual and as a citizen, but I refused to put a vote no on gay marriage sign in front of our church. I told him the only flag I would ever raise in front of our church would be the flag of Jesus. 
putting a sign in front of our church that said, vote no on gay marriage, was the same as telling the gay community that you're not wanted here. The Bible is clear, and hear me right. Homosexuality is a sin. And I will preach that from the pulpit, like I am right now. I will never waver from the truth of Scripture and what it says about any sin, and not just homosexuality, adultery, fornication, all kinds of others that aren't even sexually related. But I will not put a sign outside our church that tells homosexuals or lesbians or transgender people that they are not welcome here. Do not be deceived, church. The greatest threat to our church and the gospel is not the homosexual agenda. The greatest threat to our church and the gospel has never and will never come from outside the church. The greatest threat to the church has always and will always come from within the church. The greatest threat to the gospel and to the church, to this church, is us, brothers and sisters. People, listen to me, people who practice homosexuality are not our enemy. They are our mission. If our true enemy, Satan himself, can convince us that the greatest threat to our church and the gospel comes from anything outside of ourselves, that he has already succeeded in neutralizing our gospel effectiveness. No cultural agenda can thwart God's plan to use his church to accomplish his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Homosexuality didn't stop the spread of the gospel 2,000 years ago, and it will not stop it today. You may think, that's crazy. Well, it's way worse now than it was then. No. The Greco-Roman world in which Jesus lived and in which the gospel went forth and multiplied exponentially after his death, burial, and resurrection, that world was filled with homosexuality. It was filled with men, with men, women, with women flaunting it, enjoying it, boasting of it. Even men who talked about and took pride in their sexual relations with younger boys. So we're not quite as far as it has been culturally. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. The greatest threat to our church and the gospel is our own sin. You say it like this. I'm going to give us two kind of major points to hang on today from the scriptures we're about to read. Say it again, don't be deceived. The greatest threat to our church and the gospel is one, our lack of personal holiness, and two, our prideful, hyper-spiritualized morality. I'll back that down in a minute and explain what I mean. Look with me in verses 9 through 11a, just the first part of 11. We'll go through the rest of it in a moment. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Paul says. He's speaking to the church, the church at Corinth, the church gone wild, off the rails. Since such were some of you, we are our own worst enemy, brothers and sisters. 
And because of that, we have to fight for our own personal holiness. Thankfully, not on our own, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have to fight for our own personal holiness. We have to own the fight, and we have to endeavor to fight for our own personal holiness. Look at verses 15. I'm skipping down. You should go home today and read the entirety of verses 9 through 20, but I'm just going to skip for time's sake to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, Paul says. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. In fact, the Greek says just flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So here's what he's basically saying. I don't know if we have any Monty Python fans in the house. When it comes to sexual immorality, run away. It's the only sin in the Bible addressed in this way. Every other sin, it's like head on, hit it hard. And this one he says, run away. The word here used for sexual immorality in verse 18 and in verse 9 is the word... The Greek word, the root word is porneia. Porneia. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's where we get the word pornography from. It means fornication. It means having sex outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman of any kind. Not the Bill Clinton definition of what sex is, but truly anything that is sexual in nature at all outside of the covenant marriage between a man and a woman. Fornication pornography, even lusting. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Everybody would be like, yeah, that's the Ten Commandments, right? And he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So that means if, if you have looked at someone, not just noticed that they were pretty or handsome, but then looked at them and thought about how nice it would be to be married to that person, or not, how nice it would be to be in a relationship with that person, how nice it would be to be in a sexual relationship or to see more of what's there. And you have lusted after, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so therefore, we would fall under those earlier verses as adulterers and fornicators, sexually immoral. So I'm going to talk for just a second to the men and then to the women separately. Brothers, it is imperative that we stop cheating on our wives as a member of this church, as this faith family, this faith family. We need to stop cheating on our wives with a woman in the next booth over. We need to stop cheating with our wives on our wives with the women on the screens in front of us. We need to stop cheating on our wives and profaning, profaning the name of Jesus degrading the holiness of God by looking upon women, by catcalling women, by being a little bit seductive in our words towards other women that are not our wives, by fantasizing about them with lewd comments that we make to them or about them. It's time that we stop and take it seriously because if we do not, we will be the reason this church is not used to reach the lost in our community. Let us never be the reason. 
Let us not be the reason that people die and go to hell because we are too stuck on our sexuality being primary for us that we are unable and undesirous to submit that to the Lord. Let us strive for holiness as Jesus is holy. Let us strive for perfection. Although we will fail, He did not. And His Spirit lives within us if we are His and He will empower us. Let us do that. Because here's the thing. When I say run away from sexual immorality, what it means is run away from that and run to Jesus. You can't just run away because it chases after you. It's in the heart. You understand? So the, the problem is our heart is filled with sin. And so when it starts to creep up out of us, we have to run from it by running to the cross. When we go to Jesus, we ask, Lord, show me this cross right now before me. Reveal to me the love that you've had for me, the love that is so great that you would love me even in this sin, that you would send me your one and only son who's worth more than all of us put together, who is beautiful, who is, who is admirable, who is holy, and that you love him so much that you still let him die for me. Fill me with that love right now. Fill me with your love for your son. And when he fills you with that love for his son, it pushes out love for sin and self, and it begins to free you from the sexual immorality you were leaning into. That is how you flee sexual immorality. It is the only way it will be defeated, by running to the foot of the cross. Guys, pursue your wives. You wouldn't notice the other women so much if you were head over heels for your wife. And let me tell you, love, it may be a feeling, but it's more so a decision every morning when you wake up. I don't know too many guys or women that wake up and the first thing they think is, oh, I love my spouse so much. Especially with that snoring going on, that morning breath, that hair like that, that gut hanging out, toilet lid still up. It doesn't happen. It's a decision every day. Men, let us pursue our wives. Let us date our wives. Let us remind them how sexy they are to us. Let us remind them how much we love them, no matter how old or young we are. And if you are single, we're praying for you. Get ready to pursue your wife. But not until she's your wife, like that. Ladies, I'd say let us, but I don't exactly do these same things the same way. Can we stop fantasizing about how much you wish your husband was like that other guy? Can maybe we stop dressing to get somebody else's attention? Hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying don't dress pretty or good looking. I'm just saying for the purpose of other people to notice I say that just to the ladies because we know no guy in here dresses to get attention from women. <laughs> they don't do a good enough job. <laughs> Some of you look really good. I mean, what if you pursued your husbands even when they weren't pursuing you for the sake of the gospel and for his holiness? He might take notice of that and pursue you back, and maybe that would change the dynamics of your relationship. You may think, men and women, she hasn't loved me very well for the last five years. He hasn't shown me much attention for the last 20 years like he does those TV shows or like he does the women that walk by. And what if we pursued our spouses and showed them how much we were on fire for them, for their holiness, for our joy? 
It would change our relationships, and I believe it would change our church. Be holy, for God is holy. His holiness is the only declaration of an adjective of God that is declared to the nth degree in Scripture. He is holy, holy, holy. The thrice hagion, the three holies in Hebrew meant to the nth degree, beyond measure. No other adjective about God. No other descriptive word for God is used that way. He is holy. It's that big. It's that important. And it is for us to be holy because He is holy. We must fight for holiness. Look at verse 19 and 20. It says this, do, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I'm going to break that down at the base. The core, the core piece in those two verses comes right after the word for. That word for means because. It's a grounding statement. It means this is the base. This is the, the bottom foundation of everything else that's said right here. Look at it again with me. Verse 20, at the beginning of verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Why should we do that? Because you were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus poured out for you on the cross. The blood of the one who loved you so much that even though he created you and you sinned against him, he came to die for you and serve you so that he could be with you and have you with him forever. Even though you were his enemy at the time. That precious blood of the Savior who's worth more than all of us combined. That means if he died once, it's enough for all of us. The precious blood of Jesus was spilled out on the cross your sins placed upon his shoulders his blood poured out for you so that you could be purchased out of your sin purchased out of the wrath of god we deserve so that he could endure all that wrath purchased out of the leading of satan and our sin of our hearts purchased out of all those things so that we could be his you are not your own brothers and sisters you've been purchased so let us not act like we are our own to our own devices, we have found pain and suffering and heartache. But for his devices to come for us in the name of Jesus, we find glory, we find peace, we find joy everlasting with no regrets. You were bought with a price. And it says right before that, you were not your own. And then it says right before that, you were bought by God. Listen, look at it, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Your body's been bought by God and made a holy temple. In other words, you were bought by God out of your sin, and he has made you into this holy temple. I'd say it like this. God has made you into a walking, talking tabernacle of his glorious presence. Wherever you go, he is with you. His spirit is with you. That means wherever you go, whether you go to work, whether you go to home, whether you go to turn on that flick, whether you go to scroll through whatever you're looking at online, wherever you are, he is with you, his glorious presence. And what you say and do will either glorify him or it will profane his name. There is no in-between. That's why he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. If you can't do it to the glory of God, do not do it. That's the implication. So let us stop impeding the gospel by defaming the name of Jesus with our actions and our words and our thoughts because we are not our own. We are the greatest threat 
to the church and its mission of the gospel going forth. So let us glorify God in our bodies, brothers and sisters. Secondly, not only fighting for that, secondly, we have to fight our pride in our hyper-spiritualized morality. Let me break that down, what I mean by that. We have to fight the pride that wells up within us from what we think is a better morality than those around us that comes up from within our own self. Hyper-spiritualized, like as if we did it, like as if we're actually better than other people on our own devices. Look at verse 9 through 11 again. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That's a command. Listen, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, and by the way, if you've lusted, that's all of us. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, he's talking to the church, right? He's talking to us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We didn't wash ourselves. Look at it again. You were washed. That means somebody else did it. You were sanctified and you still are being sanctified. You're not doing it. God's doing it in you. He says it right after this. says you were justified. Somebody declared you right with God. You didn't declare yourself right with God. We didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't get the sin off of us. We didn't become better people on our own. We didn't become different than we were before because we tried so hard we finally made it. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God has done that. It's not us. Praise the Lord because we jacked that up too. If I'm anything like my children, my kids can't even take a bath right. Why do we think we're any better just because we're a few years older? Gay people are not our enemy. They are our mission to seek and save the lost. The people who are promoting the homosexual agenda are not our enemy. They are our mission. The people who are adulterers are not our enemy, they are our mission. People who are drunkards are not our enemy. They are our mission. Thieves are not our enemy. They are our mission. Some of us would say, well, I've never practiced homosexuality or committed adultery. I've never looked at porn or stolen anything. Let me ask this question. Have you ever reviled those who do those things? That reviled is an old word. You may not remember what it means, so let me help. That word reviled means basically in the most basic English, means to slander or to denigrate, to talk down about. Have you been a reviler towards any of these folks or anyone else? That's lumped right up in there in those big ones, right? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
if you've made jokes, if you've talked down about, if you blast people, if you slander them. Look, I'm talking from a place of repentance here because I, I've had many, many faults in my life in this area. And I will tell you that years ago when I was still a student pastor, um, becoming soon to be a, a lead pastor, I was with a group of guys, some of whom I have come to love like brothers in my life. And I knew one guy was there and I was trying to do the funny thing, you know, make a funny joke. And I made a gay joke, said a gay joke, and made this guy the, the butt of that that I knew was a, was a guy that could take that kind of joking. And years later, one of the other guys in that room I found out had been struggling with, not really struggling anymore, struggling with homosexuality, struggling with same-sex attraction, and has since given himself over to that. And the Lord broke my heart. Not just because I had made fun of someone or made them feel bad, which wasn't enough. But because I had defamed the name of Jesus in that moment. And ever since then in his heart. Because I had messed up my witness with that person. I went to him and I apologized profusely and I repented and I... I broke down in front of him because I knew I had messed up in a big way, not just personally, but as a Jesus lover, I had messed up. And even though I was given forgiveness, I know it's still an impactor on my witness. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us not be deceived. We are no better than anybody else, including these people that we're talking about today in this list of sins. Even if we do not steal or drink or practice sexual morality or homosexuality, we all need Jesus the same as any of these people. We all need God's forgiveness, and without it, we too will not inherit the kingdom of God. For such were some of us. But praise the King, we've been washed. We've been sanctified. We are being sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so can they be. So can they be if we don't become the problem that defames, that profanes and defames the name of Jesus, that messes up the witness, that impedes the gospel going forth as the church, as his church. For such were some of us. So let us not lift up the flag of being anti-sinner. But let us lift up the flag of being all about Jesus. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let us become the church who seeks and saves the lost by giving them Jesus. And by not giving anyone a reason. Listen, people know you say you love Jesus. We are lights in the darkness. Let us not be a light who hides it under a bushel or pours cold water on it by our words or actions or by our not seeking holiness. Let us be men and women who recognize that we do not belong to ourselves anymore. And thankfully so, because now we've been given a brotherhood and sisterhood, an adopted family in Jesus that will bring us home forever to the fullness of joy everlasting. Let our cry be Jesus and Jesus alone. And let our 
efforts be to reach everyone with the gospel. Father, we need you more than we need anything else. But we need your grace and mercy now. I need you, Lord. Would you pierce our hearts for the truth of your gospel? Would you, would you change us today to look more like Jesus? Would you search our hearts and reveal to us the areas of our sin that which we need to repent to you? And Lord, if there's someone we know that we have transgressed in these ways, would you reveal that to our hearts that we might go and repent to them, Lord? Would you let us see where we are wrong and embolden us to speak truth as we repent before them and before you? And Lord, let us be those who seek to only lift up Jesus. Let not our hearts be filled with pride for our own morality. For Lord, it is not ours if it is good. Lord, give us eyes to see the hurting and the broken. Give us hearts, your heart. Fill us with your love for the lost. Because such were some of us. But now we've been redeemed. Now we've been set free. Lord, let our church be a place where people are set free. Let our faith family be a people who go out to liberate the captives. Not in a looking down way, but in a loving, outreached hand that just drags people to the greater one who is our king, who is our redeemer, who is our savior, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.